0: Welcome to Barad Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with Worldwide Impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says this, Let the word of the Lord richly dwell within you. And with all this wisdom, keep on teaching and counseling one another. And let psalms and hymns and spiritual songs come from within you, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God the Father, comfort, comes to those believers in Christ who hear the word of God and regard it as a foundational part of their lives. God is not out to get us. He's out to love us. Welcome to the lesson. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He is also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and he lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. There is nobody ever like that before. He's the only one like that now, and he's the only one that will ever be like that. He is the sovereign God of the universe. And nothing in the universe happens without his permission. He is the Jewish Messiah. The Lord was not sent by God the Father to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through him. He died on the cross to make the only perfect payment for sin in the eyes of God the Father through the shedding of his blood. And as a result of his strategic victory at the cross, we are fully and forever forgiven of our sins takes a really long time for believers to get it into themselves that they are fully and forever forgiven of their sins. We love beating ourselves up for our mistakes when it is our mistakes that are the things that produce the seeds of learning that can help us grow. Now, as those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian, means that we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. You heard it right. Christianity is a relationship and not a religion. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He's not a thing. He's not a concept. He's not a higher power. He's not a spirit. He is the sovereign God of the universe. And he is a spirit, but you know what I mean. And just as we do with anyone whom we love, We spend time getting to know the Lord, and since the Bible is his exact thinking, we come together to learn about him through the study of his mind, the Word of God. Now God has an enemy, Satan, who is the ruler of planet Earth. He is the ruler of this world. He is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you. What kind of leader is it that lies to you all the time? What kind of leader is that? And that is Satan. There is no truth in him. He lies to you all the time. And so he under, by doing that, he undermines the confidence that we have in authority figures like our government. He undermines the confidence we have in parents. We, he undermines the confidence that couples have between each other. He even undermines our relationship with our God. And so he doesn't want you to get to know God, and he interferes with your chance to know God through deception. But the word of God is truth, and it keeps us aware of Satan's insidious deceptions. As believers in Christ, we're in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world and its systems. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord appreciates congregations that support their pastor, financially. The Lord appreciates congregations that support their pastor financially. And in that regard, we're going to take the offering right this second. (laughs) (laughs) And then we're going to take it again when it's Denny's turn to uh, give his offering message. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of collection today. (laughs) Believe it or not, being a pastor is a job. When people work in the secular world, they get paid a wage for their labor. When people work in the spiritual world, many times there's not enough money to make a living. That is certainly the case here at Barah Ministries. If I had to live on the money that I get from Barah Ministries, brother would, be, uh, ha- brother would have a shopping cart, eh, amen? <laughs> I'd have to to start negotiating some relationships at restaurants. I think I would be an amazing homeless person. I would be the fattest homeless person on record because I would have so many relationships with restaurants, and I would just go around collecting food, and then eventually my sales skills would take over, and I'd start selling the food, and then the next thing you know, I'd have a grocery store of my own. Taking that food, reselling it, I would get a lot of health code violations, undoubtedly, but... It would be amazing. Anyway, for pastors who can't make a living from their pastoral work, they get second jobs to make ends meet. I am such a pastor, and the Lord has provided abundantly in my consulting career. Because being a pastor is a sacrifice, and because it involves benevolence, which is the desire to help others, Satan inspires the thoughts in people that being a pastor should be done free of charge. And funny thing, I did it free of charge for 18 years. I'm going to tell you how that ended today. But the Lord doesn't agree that pastors should do their work free of charge. So as we continue our study of 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, Paul uses pastors as an example to teach how not exercising a right is a sign of maturity. And we looked at an overview of this part of the passage a couple of weeks ago, and now we will study the passage verse by verse. All right, so let's hear some music. There are a lot of things God does for us that we refuse to do for ourselves. Are you gracious with yourself when you make mistakes? I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to ask the question again. Are you gracious with yourself when you make mistakes, or do you beat yourself up when you make mistakes as if you're going to be the first person on, on the earth who never made a mistake? As a matter of fact, you make a lot more mistakes than you do cool things, and especially if you're young. So are you beating yourself up for your mistakes, or are you being gracious to yourself for your mistakes? Well, God is very gracious to you when you make mistakes. Check Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, combined with Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Here's what they say. Romans 5, 20, the Mosaic law came in alongside sin so that the transgression, which is law breaking, would abound. Sin is law breaking. It is breaking God's rules. But where sin and law breaking abounded, God's grace overflowed all the more. There is God's attitude toward people who sin. His grace flows to them all the more. All the more means in tremendous abundance. Romans chapter 5 verse 21. The Lord provided grace abundantly in the presence of sin so that as sin reigned as king in spiritual death, which is what our status was when we were born in Adam at physical birth. We were in sin And sin was sovereign over us. Even so, through God's grace, we believers in Christ would reign as kings through righteousness, which is our in Christ status at the spiritual birth. That spiritual birth, when you're born again, when you become a believer in Christ, God's righteousness is imputed to you, credited to your account, free of charge, as your admission ticket to heaven. So that... Through God's grace, we believers in Christ would reign as kings through righteousness to eternal life, the resurrection life, through our union with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. So what shall we believers in Christ say then, face to face with all these things? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Because somebody, uh, immature people would say, okay, well, if there's no charge for sinning. Let's live it up that's what a lot of believers in Christ do. They say, thanks for the salvation. See you in heaven, God. I'll take it from here. So between salvation and physical death, they're sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning. And they think that's an amazing life because Satan always tempts us with sin and then slams our hands in the door. We always think that sinning is so great. And then all of a sudden, boom, Satan slams our hands in the door. So... Are we to continue in sin so the grace may, be, may increase? Romans 6, 2. May it never be? Of course not. How shall such ones as we believers in Christ, the children of a king, children who died to sin as an established fact at the moment of our salvation, still live in sin as if sin is still our master? And that's what happens, that's what's happening in the Corinthian church. They're still living in sin even though they're believers in Christ. As if sin is their master because they haven't put aside their pagan ways. Well, let's not be silly. Because God's grace increases to us when we sin, that is not our excuse to sin. And nobody who's mature would look at it that way. So we shall not be in bondage to sin simply because we have grace. Well, here's Chris Tomlin telling the truth about our God in his song, Your Grace is Enough.
1: Can keep us apart
0: pray we're grateful heavenly father for the privilege of studying your absolute truth the word of god father thank you for the truth thank you for allowing this COVID 19 farce so that we can see just how true everything you say is we are indeed living in a lost and dying world run by a tyrant your enemy satan who is unfit to rule a free people Thank you for the deadness of this world right now, which opens our eyes to all of the idols we employ in our lives to keep us out of touch with the spiritual realities in which we live. Thank you for your patience in letting evil run its course so that it proves itself to be an unworthy alternative to the virtuous life of unconditional love you offer to all of us. Father, show us how to have an amazing life during this slavery the life of freedom that you planned for us in eternity past. And help us to be a blessing to everyone we meet by spreading the truth of the gospel message, the truth concerning your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ, the only real hope for this world. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord appreciates congregations that support their pastor financially. The Lord appreciates congregations that support their pastor financially. And thank you very much for doing so, as the Lord uh, encourages congregations to do. I spent the last two weeks on the road. uh, This past week, I was in Las Vegas from Tuesday to Saturday, and then the week before, I was in Coeur d'Alene for the week. And uh, I think that I am a lot less angry and hostile when I'm at home in the comfort of my own home than I am when I'm out. Because when I'm out, I'm breathing my own carbon dioxide. I'm hearing that term social distancing, which I think is the stupidest term that was ever invented. And I can't believe how fast people have taken that on as a term. If I hear stay healthy or stay safe one more time, I'm going to throw up. And you know, people looking at you funny if you've got your mask, you know, two inches below where it's required to be, and hearing all these mandates that we're hearing. If you don't have your mask on, you can't fly on this airline and just it's unbelievable to me. And Las Vegas was dead. It's a ghost town. The restaurants were open, thank God. The brother could get some food, amen but no shows going, the The Uber drivers are upset, you know, they're not able to make a living, and it's just a shame, because you see all these people who are just disoriented, and just angry and upset, and it there's just a deadness to the world right now, that's like walking into a Catholic church, or a Mormon church, it's just, you know, it's a church, but it's just dead, and yeah, I'm picking on the Catholics and the Mormons again, so that's just what I do. You know. And if, if you have a church that you'd like me to pick on, please send me an email at <laughs> pastor at com, and I will be happy to accommodate you. But you know, the point is that everything is so dead. And it's really good because the deadness of the world is sharpening our spiritual eyes. At least I hope so, especially for those of you who are studying the Word of God, who have been students of the Word of God. I hope it's sharpening your your spiritual eyes. But what I see is people right now just desperate to talk, desperate to socialize. It was at, a, at one of those Teppan grills last night, and my God, you know, I, I think one of the great skills that salespeople lead, need to learn right now is listening, because you can't get in a word in you can't get a word in edgewise with people. If you show any interest in people whatsoever, they take your ear and they start chewing it off. So if my ear looks a little mangled, it's because of listening to people over the last couple of weeks. Because people are desperate to talk, desperate to communicate. And what I notice when they're talking about this whole situation is they are panicked. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to think. They're under the lie that, well, right after the election, everything's going to get back to normal. You are insane if you think that. If you think, honestly, that people take your freedom to give it back to you, you are out of your mind. That is not what's going to happen. And so what we better get used to as Christians is that we need to thrive in the midst of slavery. And our God is not surprised by anything that's going on in the world right now. You may be, but he is not. And, you know, I, I just, you, you know, you can't even, you know, the football is coming back. And so I say, okay, well, I'm going to turn on football. And then you've got to hear all the political crap. Who wants to hear it? I don't want to hear that. I want to tell me what his statistics are. Tell me what touchdowns he got. I don't want to know about COVID-19 and how it's taken every the college football and all the conferences and COVID-19 and COVID-19 and the vaccines coming to COVID-19. Sick of it. But that's going to be what we're bombarded with for a really long time. And I'll bet that you as a believer in Christ, are having the same issue with it that the rest of the world is, and that is you don't like it that your freedom got stolen. You don't like it that you had planned all this time to get to be 65 years old, and you were thinking when you're 65, man, you're going to travel, you're going to see the world, and now you can't even go anywhere. And if you go anywhere, you got to quarantine for 14 days, and it takes an act of Congress to get a flight, and then you got to breathe your car I can't imagine. Look, I had a one-hour flight. To Las Vegas, and I had to breathe my carbon dioxide for one hour. Can you imagine breathing your carbon dioxide for eighteen hours? Going to Japan? Not me. My first flight, I got you know about twenty-five peanuts. I took seven minutes to eat every one of them. I was looking at my clock because you have to have your mask on when you're eating, right? So I had one. I too so slow. Like all the people would be proud of me who tell you you should take your time eating your food. They would be so proud of me. Seven minutes of peanut was so good. So I had to put the mask on. So that's what we're dealing with. Now, what's your attitude? What's the attitude that you're walking around with? Do you still dream? Do you still have ambitions? Do you still care about people? Do you still want to get out? Do you still want to do things? Or do you want to sit in your house like a dutiful little slave and not go anywhere? That's the question. How about all those times when you think, I'm not talking about those of you who can't drive because you might endanger the lives of people, amen? I ain't talking about y'all crazy people. I'm talking about normal people who still got a driver's license with a little gold star on it can drive places. When you're thinking about going out, do you hesitate? He said, well, I don't know why I want to go out. You're a little mad because you got to put on a mask because that hurts behind the ears. That's what I don't like about the mask. They hurt behind the ears. I gotta, I'm going to try your mask this week because it's got some cloth. Maybe it won't hurt me behind the ears. Crazy. But what's your attitude? Do you think that you have a great life? If you hit 65, you're probably going to hit 90. If you're a non-smoker, that's a long time to phone it in. So you're going to live? You're going to quit? That's my question for you. So as we begin today's lesson, what you'll notice sneaking into the lessons in the very beginning is a, it's some words of encouragement. And I want this, uh, le- the beginning of today's lesson to be some words of encouragement for you because these words of encouragement are desperately needed in the desperate times that we're living in, distressing times. Let's read from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Here's what it says. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple, the color of royalty. And that's how you know he was rich. He was dressing in purple, because those purple garments were really expensive. And he habitually dressed in fine linen. And that fine linen means, in the Greek, means expensive and elegant underwear, joyously living in splendor every day. He was loaded. There are a lot of people in the world who are loaded. Luke chapter 16, verse 20, and a poor man named Lazarus, who was a believer in Christ, was laying at the rich man's gate covered with sores because he was in bad health. Luke sixteen twenty one 21, and, and Lazarus lay there longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. And besides, even the dogs were coming and licking Lazarus's sores, and that's the great thing about dogs. Dogs have an antiseptic on their tongue. And whenever I used to, when I had dogs and I used to get a cut or something like that, I immediately go take it over to my dog and the dog would lick on it a heel in a day. Dogs have this magic antiseptic. Not chihuahuas. They ain't got none. Not chihuahuas. I'm not talking about those little rodent dogs who ought to be given the shot. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about normal dogs, big dogs, like Labradors, who are the best dogs in the whole planet. But, but anyway, the dogs were licking Lazarus's sores to heal him. Now, Luke 16, 22 <laughs> Now, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And that is a term for paradise, which is located in Hades under the earth, the place of residence for Old Testament believers before the cross. So before Jesus died on the cross, there was a whole group of believers in Christ in this compartment of Hades called paradise, and they were waiting for him to take them to heaven because nobody was going to precede the Lord Jesus Christ to heaven. The rich man also died and was buried, which is the fate of unbelievers. Hell, Hades. Another compartment of Hades, torments, is where unbelievers go before they're, to be held before their great white throne judgment in the future. Luke chapter 16, verse 23. In Hades, the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And torment was a place, Of constant and conscious torture. And what was the torture? Heat, hot, uncomfortable. Phoenix in the summer on steroids, hot all the time. An irritating heat, fire, brimstone, sulfur smell. Your conscience still alive playing over and over and over all the times that you rejected a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the rich man saw Abraham, the father of the Jews, far away, and he saw Lazarus laying in his bosom. They were reclining at a table. Luke chapter 16, verse 24. The rich man cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus over here so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. Luke 16, 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, you had everything. And likewise, Lazarus received bad things, he had nothing. But now he's being comforted here and you're in agony there. And what Abraham didn't say is, you were ignoring this believer in Christ that was parked at your door. All you had to do was go out and give him something to eat or he'd bring him in, get him, get him a, some doctor help, get him cleaned up, have a conversation with him. He would have probably evangelized to you, told you the gospel message and you could have been saved. Not that you didn't hear the gospel message about a gazillion times. Luke 16, 26. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed. So that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able. I can't send Lazarus over and bring, bring you a glass of water, dog. And so that none may cross over from there to us. Now, here's my, my envisioning of Hades, that you've got the compartment, the green compartment is paradise, Abraham's bosom. There's a great chasm fixed, and I don't know if you know what a chasm is, but it's like the Grand Canyon is this big hole that you can't get across. The water is wide. I cannot get ore. And then over on the other side, you have compartments. You have torments, where the Old Testament believers are housed until the lake of fire is created, and they're thrown into the lake of fire because all of Hades is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Paradise, that compartment of Hades called paradise, is empty now because the Lord Jesus Christ, after his resurrection, took all the Old Testament believers with him to heaven. There's a compartment in Hades called Tartarus, and all of the angels who violated one of the rules of the creator-creature conflict, which is you cannot cohabitate with women. These were angelic creatures who were cohabitating with women to create a race of super-creatures, Hercules, all the, the Greek mythology gods. It wasn't really mythology. These were characters who were half-angel, half-human, they violated the rules of the creator-creature conflict, and they're stored there. If you want to read about that, it's Genesis 6. And then the abyss has 200 million angels that are in drills right now who are being ready to be released onto the earth during the next period of time, the tribulation, and for a five-month period, they're going to be allowed to attack unbelievers. And there is a vivid description in the book of Revelation about them and how their their sting is so vicious and so painful, like the sting of a scorpion, that people will want to commit suicide, but they will not be allowed. And this is a form of evangelism that God will give at that time. Now, when I talk talk to you about all the things that are going on in Hades over on the right side in the red, you guys get this really concerned look on your face. That's the same concerned look you ought to have on your face every time you hear somebody talking about the fact that they might be an unbeliever, that they might be an atheist or a religious or agnostic. You ought to get that same look on your face because, for example, let's say that you're a believer in Christ And let's say that we are in the rapture period, and all of us as believers in Christ get raptured. We get plucked off the earth. If any of your kids are unbelievers, they're going to stay here. And they're going to go through the seven worst years in the history of mankind. And now, how casually are you taking your children's salvation? And do you want your kids on the earth during that period where, as unbelievers, they're going to be attacked by 200 million demon angels who will sting them in such a way that they would want to commit suicide? It's so painful. See, everybody thinks that this is a big joke. Everybody thinks, you know, oh, that Barat Ministries, isn't that cute? Isn't that cute how they get together and listen to that crap about God, those myths? Uh, with that out-of-date book, isn't that cute? But the people here are starting to get a dose of what it's really going to be like when the tyrant finally rears his ugly head. Because what does Satan do? What he does is say, "Hey, what do you want? Whatever you want, you can have it. Whatever you want, you want to. You you don't want to re- believe in Jesus Christ? That's okay. Be Buddhist. You know, seek Nirvana." seek maturity that way you don't want you want to believe in jesus christ okay well we'll give you a variation of jesus christ but there's another guy the pope right you don't want to you, you don't want to think that there's one god and three three persons all right, all right the church elite jesus christ and latter-day saints we think there are three guys but they're all separate And two of them, the Father and Jesus Christ, went to Joseph Smith and said, hey, we can't run our program, our divine program. Can you help? (laughs) He gives them all that. And then what's he going to do? He's starting to show his ugly head. The tyrant is starting to take away your options, starting to zoom you into, you will do this. You will do this thing. You will wear a mask or you will be punished. You will take the vaccine, or you will be punished. And now all the people who had this whatever-you-want lifestyle are starting to see that the person they're worshiping, Satan, the ruler of planet Earth, is now starting to rear his ugly head, and he's going to take away all their options. You will worship me, or you will die. And that's that. And we'll see how cute you think Barab Ministries is then. We ain't going to be here. We're going to be out. Then we'll see what concentrating on video games gets you. We'll see what ignoring the word of God gets you then. This is serious. And now the seriousness of it is starting to surface. And what you're seeing in your periphery is people who are so confused in their soul, who are so mixed up in their soul, that they don't even know what to do. They don't even know where to go. And if they go to get some spiritual counseling, you know where they're going to go? They're going to go where the group goes. They're going to go to Joel Osteen. And what are they going to get? They're going to get a guy who sits the, the Bible up on his podium and every five minutes or so touches it and every 10 minutes or so holds it up but never opens it and never quotes anything in it yeah but i'm bagging on him right yeah i'm bagging on him and when you finally decide that you want to go someplace that's teaching the truth your friends are saying oh well you're you're making a big mistake if you don't wave your hands over the head, and if you aren't feeling the Spirit and talking in tongues, then you're missing it. No, you're not missing it. You finally discovered the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, and when you believe in Christ, you are saved, and that's that. This is serious, serious business. And then all of a sudden, this little church... Becomes real important. This little church that got 30 people in friggin' Idaho <laughs> to come to a conference. Idaho! What's, that? What's in Idaho except my friends and some potatoes? Amen? <laughs> bees. <laughs> bees, that's right. <laughs> then he said bees, that's right. By the way, the bees missed you this year, Joe. Whatever that stinky perfume is you wear, yeah. You know, I was sitting down. I was sitting at the picnic table. And this bee comes up to me. and touches me. Like, oh, oh, he- hello, Mr. Bee. Yeah, where's that lady that was here last year? The one that could sing? Cause all my friends wanted to see her again. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Hades in the future is going to be thrown in the lake of fire. All right, let's continue in Luke. Luke chapter 16, verse 27. So the rich man said to Abraham, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house. If you can't send him over here to give me a drink of water, send him to my father's house. Why? Luke 16, 28. Because I have five brothers and then Lazarus can warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. In other words, all of, my all of my brothers are unbelievers. Please help them. Luke 16, 29, Abraham said, they have scripture from Moses and the prophets. They have the gospel message. Let your brothers hear them. Luke 16, 30, but the rich man said, no, Father Abraham, But if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. They'll change their minds about having a relationship with Christ. Luke 16, 31, Abraham said to the rich man, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they don't listen to scripture, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Yeah, someone like Jesus. Amen? Amen. The Jews didn't believe that Jesus was their Messiah, not on this trip. They'll catch on next time at the second coming. The rich man was just like the Pharisees. Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew chapter 16, verse 4, an evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign. Show me a sign. Bring somebody back from the dead. Jesus was doing miracles all over the place. But Jesus continued talking to the Pharisees. He said, and a sign will not be given you evil and adulterous generation of vipers, except the sign of Jonah. What is the sign of Jonah? Jonah lived three days in the belly of a whale, just like Jesus lived for three days in the tomb before he was resurrected from the dead. And Jesus left them and went away. The Pharisees claimed that a sign from heaven would be convincing when the biggest sign standing right in front of them, the sovereign God of the universe, in person, was not convincing. Those who don't believe Scripture won't believe a sign. The Pharisees ignored every sign Jesus performed. For example, when Jesus raised another Lazarus from the dead, Instead of convincing the Pharisees, it incited them to want to kill Jesus even more. Well, all at once, this story is sobering and it's comforting. It's sobering because it's so real. There are billions of people on this earth, many of whom are my friends, who do not have a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have one friend that I can think of just off the top of my head who says, anytime I tell her that God has an enemy, oh, don't talk to me about anything negative. Don't talk to me about anything negative. There's no devil. Don't talk about anything negative. Okay. Eternity will not go well for people who have this attitude. This global farce-demic, has been sobering for people without a spiritual life. They don't know what to make out of what's going on. What the Lord asks of us is pretty easy. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from all of this. Instead, we busy ourselves with meaningless things. We lie to ourselves and we comfort ourselves with the thought that Jesus will bend the rules if we don't believe in him, but he won't. It wouldn't be fair to those who believe. I am so excited by this global farce-nemic, which is called a pandemic, because it has taken away everything that is distracting for me. It's taken away television. I don't want to watch television because I don't want to hear all the blah, 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 blah. I can't go to any sports events, and I don't want to watch sports events where I got to look at people with uniforms on saying Black Lives Matter – And when will it stop? And then they have fake people and fake crowd noise. I don't want to look at that. I don't. So I'm not turning that on. Can't go to the movie. Movies, I had an unlimited pass at Regal Theaters. I could go to every movie in there five times a day if I wanted to. Can't do that. Can't go to my timeshares, but still got to pay. So... All there is is focus. I've got to do this really strange thing now for entertainment. It's called reading. Can you imagine that? Having these things called books and opening them up and then actually having to look at words and then decipher what the words mean and maybe having to go to a dictionary. and so strange. (laughs) They got kids in grammar school going to school online. Yeah, it's sobering. What the Lord asks of us in scripture in the gospel message is really easy to do. The Pharisees were the powerful people of their day. Today there are rich and powerful people who are running the world, who think that their wealth can buy anything. But wealth can't buy salvation. And today's global situation is making it obvious to those who are perplexed how important the spiritual life is. But then, once they realize it, do they act? I don't see anybody knocking down the Broad Ministries doors. We're growing, but I don't see a whole bunch of people knocking down the doors, even though we're teaching the truth. Now, this is a comforting time for those of us who have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because we know that we're victorious forever. We will go through the inconvenience of the world's machinations, but we're not bothered at all because our eternal fate is glorious, and it is sealed. Putting up with this world for 80 or 90 years is a small price for an eternity of spiritual wealth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Verses 16 to 18 say this. Therefore, we believers in Christ don't lose heart. Even though our outer man, the physical body, is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians four seventeen: For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And we look not at the things which are seen, But we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. They're temporary. They're going to fade away. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Yeah. What are we talking about here in Barah Ministries? We're talking about a spiritual life. We're talking about reality. And even though the things in this world keep on being more dismal day by day, we must not forget the heavenly destiny that we live day by day. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We don't lose heart. We don't stop dreaming. We don't hesitate. We keep going knowing that the Lord is the one who makes our path straight. So when we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll continue our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Take a five-minute break.
2: You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm I'm just just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about something for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. So let me
1: go down, down, down in history, as another blood. For the world to see Nobody but you
0: Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord appreciates congregations that support their pastor financially. The Lord appreciates congregations that support their pastor financially. Well, my, five, my four years at Northwestern University cost $17,500 for four years for tuition alone, not including room and board. Today, it would be $300,000. For a mother who made 14000 a year, was an astronomical sum that she could not pay. She didn't have to pay for it, though, because someone we didn't know and still don't know to this day paid the bill for her. This person's contribution allowed me to have an academic scholarship. This person's generosity changed the trajectory of my life. Don't ever underestimate the power of your giving. It could change a life or two or more. Just because you don't hear about how your generosity changed someone's life while you're here on earth, know that God knows the impact you make, and he will share it with you in heaven. The person who helped me doesn't know they helped me. They don't know who I am, but I have done exactly what they did for so many people, and I've helped a lot of people in gratitude for what they did for me. Well, let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with today's offering message.
3: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm quarantined to be a deacon for Brawl Ministries. Brawl Ministries is a worldwide Christian church where real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And last week's message about prayer made me want to think about what other, what other things are right under the surface that we don't think about that are really important. Because prayer is it's a secret weapon. It's the ultimate weapon. And we forget about it. Why? Because we were rebounding every 10 minutes, I think. And I think some of us still do on accident. You do it. You just bust out and rebound like, oops. But the point of the story is I was thinking about what other things in our life are right under the surface that really impact our life, but we don't think about it and i was thinking it's attitude attitude is everything and i see it in every day of my life cuz i got two little crazy attitudes that i deal with and just the way they ask you for something they just come up and yell at you i want this and I'm like why would i give you anything when you're yelling at me you didn't say please you're being rude like give me come up and say be nice and i'll give you whatever you want you know and so apply that to more more you know things in life and i was driving down traffic you know you got these three lanes that munch down to two lanes sometimes and people always try to run up the side of you and once this lady came flying up in her minivan and sometimes you want to hurry up so I just let her in go ahead go ahead right on in and I ended up seeing her at Target she pulled in behind me at Target and it would have been really awkward had I not let her in and I got there and she's she's like hmm you know you didn't let me in and so like our attitude matters you know how I treated that lady was visible to everybody in traffic and you know we've seen it when I used to work at a restaurant Mondo's we would have there'd always be some crazy customer out there making some crazy special order, and then they would be mad, and their attitude would actually spill over into the kitchen. That just, that just that sourness that they would have, and they would make the kitchen mad, and the kitchen would be frustrated, and then they'd be frustrated the whole rest of the night. And those kind of things, they really... Our attitude really matters. It, it shows to other people. You know, think about Paul. He's in prison, and he's writing a book. He's trying to write the Bible. He didn't give up. You know what I mean? So... Why, why do we want to give up? There's no reason to give up in life. God can make something from nothing. So he can make something from our mistakes. He can make something from our emotion. And he can certainly make something from our messed up lives. So I don't know why we would worry, why we would ever want to give up. But that's what the world wants you to do. The attitude is just quarantine and give up and we're losing our freedoms. And the attitude is everything. and It's like David and Goliath. Think about that. Oh, you want me to go up there against that guy? All right, I got this. He just went up. So what did that say to his people? I'm not scared. I'm not giving up. What did that say to Goliath? Oh, shit, this guy's crazy. He's going to come at me? Little guy? Slingshot? All right, and I'm, I'm scared. I would be scared. He's got a screw loose, you know? He's not going after you. But so, I mean, so when we're giving at the offering, it's really an attitude. We're all giving. We're all seeing each other give, and we're all showing that this matters in our life. And so really this attitude we have is showing that, you know, we're, we're giving in the same love. We have the same love. We're united in one spirit, and we're all giving for one purpose. We're all intent on one per- purpose, which is devotion to Christ. We want others to know the devotion we have, and so that's why we give. That's why we support our pastor, and, you know, I think the hardest thing sometimes is to have a positive attitude. You've been frustrated at work. You've been a little crazy, and then you get home, and it's like the kids are yelling, and the attitude matters. You could have a real sour attitude, and then everybody catches on to it, or you have a good attitude, and people people like it. It's just like witnessing or giving the gospel to somebody. If you're confrontational to somebody you don't know, it might be pretty off-putting. You can joke around with somebody you know maybe a little bit more, but if you don't know somebody, you don't need to get combative. You don't need to get angry. It's not a war. This is just peace. It's just trying to give somebody peace of heart through devotion to Christ. And so you know, thank you for always giving and having this attitude in Christ, which we can see in Philippians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. Do not look, do not merely look out for our own personal interests, but also look out for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So see, I think our attitude matters too to other people's interests. The way we show ourselves, the way what we do around people and what they see us doing. Like Pastor's been saying, you know, it's as an authority, when we're trying to buck the law and not wear the mask, which I don't want to wear one either. It's infuriating. I wanted to quit my Costco membership because of the masks. but well, let's just get through it. You know, why, why do we have to focus on things we don't have? Let's focus on what we do have. Christ, we still have freedom. We still can go everywhere. So let's not think about those kind of things. Let's think about others. So thank you very much.
0: Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord appreciates congregations that support their pastors financially. So the passage under study extends from 1 Corinthians chapter eight verse 1 to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one. In First Corinthians chapter eight, the Apostle Paul introduces the idea that the spiritually mature must forego certain freedoms for the benefit of the immature. You'll remember 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 13 which says this, therefore, if food causes my brother, a fellow believer in Christ, to stumble, I, Paul, will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. So as mature people in the matter of sacrifice of food to idols, we know that there's no such thing as an idol and we can eat idol food. But if it causes an immature brother to think that continuing to worship pagan idols is okay, then we don't want to do it. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 14, as we study it verse by verse, I've given you an overview of this passage before, Paul gives a personal example. He has given up his right to be paid for his spiritual work so as not to cause a hindrance to the gospel message. All right, let's begin at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. It says, aren't I free to do as I please? Aren't I an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus, our resurrected Lord? Aren't you my work in the Lord? Paul knows that the Corinthian believers know the answer to each of these questions he's asking. Each question is a resounding yes. He is free to do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to be mature. He can still eat idle food if he wants because he knows it's nothing. He could do it. He is free to do it. He's an apostle. What's the qualification for being an apostle? Apostle. You have to be selected by God, and you have to have seen Jesus, the resurrected Lord. He saw Jesus after the resurrection. Aren't you my work in the Lord? He knows the answer to that question is yes, because he founded the church. So Paul begins his argument by calling attention to facts that the Corinthian believers already know about him. Paul has rights just like the Corinthian believers do. One of the things I love about Paul is that he's always arguing. And, you know, that may not mean anything to you, because the, the way we think about arguments is I yell at you, you yell at me, and then we both say, well, everybody's got an opinion, I've got mine, I'm right, and you're wrong. what <coughs> I mean by an argument. I mean what debaters do. And what debaters do is, as they're preparing, they decide what your best arguments are, and they introduce those arguments and dispose of them. They consider things that you might do, and they lay stuff out. They lay this little trap for you. So you walk right into their mental trap, and then they bash you on the head and play whack-a-mole with you. Amen? So that's what Paul is doing here. He's, he's about to lay out a game of whack-a-mole and hit the Corinthians on the head. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 2. So if to others at different churches, I'm not an apostle, at least I'm an apostle to you, for you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul established the church at Corinth, and as part of the setup of his argument, he's reminding them that even if he is not all things to all people, to them he is the founder of their church, and they are the fruit of his labor. The seal idea references his signature. And you remember I told you about the women who do the Hallmark thing where they get the wax and they melt it on the envelope and then they seal it with this little girly thing. And that was what happened all the time in the ancient world, that people, when they were putting their signature on things, used sealing wax. So the seal idea says that Paul's fingerprints are all over the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 3. My defense to those who examine me is this. Paul continues to lay out his argument using the rules of rhetoric. He's preparing them mentally to accept the things he's about to say about himself as facts rather than as boasting. And there were rules when you were arguing about what you had to do to come off as factual rather than boasting, which is beautiful, and that's what Paul's doing here. 1 Corinthians 9 4. Do we not have a right to receive support so we can eat and drink? Paul argues that pastors have a right to earn money for their work, especially for the basic necessities like those needed to survive, food and drink. Then Paul gives examples of people who are exercising their rights. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. Don't we have a, a right to take along a believing wife? even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord, including Cephas, Simon, Peter, do. Notice that the apostles have a right to take their wives, who are also believers in Christ, on missionary journeys, and to receive financial support for themselves and for their wives as well. The Lord does not expect us to work for free. When the Lord sent his apostles out to evangelize, he told them, don't take anything with you. Because he knew that he was going to be providing them things through people. The Lord expects and sanctions provision for the people who are doing his work. And one of the cool things about 1 Corinthians 9, 5, put that up for a second, is that Paul called Simon Peter Cephas. Cephas was his nickname. And so what he's indicating here is I have a really good relationship with this guy. I'm not bagging on him. And he does the same thing in the next verse with Barnabas, who I think's real name is Jonas. And so Barnabas is his nickname. He's got a great relationship with Barnabas as well. So 1 Corinthians 9, 6 says this, Don't Barnabas and I have a right to refrain from working to support ourselves? And the answer to that is yes. Paul, Barnabas and Paul have second jobs. Paul was a tent maker. But they have the jobs because they have chosen as spiritually mature believers, to waive their right to get paid for their work, even though they have the right to get paid for their work. Now Paul, Paul to continue his argument, points out the ridiculous. 1 Corinthians 9, 7. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and doesn't drink the milk of the flock? The soldier, the planter, who was typically the vineyard owner, and the shepherd were analogies that were easily understood by the people of the day. The Bible has to be interpreted in the time it was written. And all three of these categories of people expected that when they did work, they were going to take advantage of the work that they did. The Lord thinks it is fair to receive compensation for our labor. The Lord is not a legalist. Legalists expect... Uh, from people things that they can't do and should not do so a legalistic thing is well pastor rory you know i mentioned that i was taking 400 dollars a week as a salary well pastor rory why don't you give the money back to barah ministries well mainly because i did that for 18 years is it okay if i you know wet my beak (laughs) as the the mafia guys would say but legalists expect things from people they they expect people to do everything and and it's how satan does things he gives us this goofy attitude about people and so people who go to war expect to have their food uniform and weapons provided and they expect to enjoy the spoils of war if they win and that's exactly what happened in the ancient world if you signed up for the army you got food shelter clothing and weapons and when you conquered people, you walked them back into town. You walked their generals back into town. It was called the, the, the victorious procession. That's not the term, but it's something like that. And you, you would walk them in first because you were going to execute them publicly. And then you walked in all their goods behind. You know, if they had a piano, you'd toting in the piano, whatever they had. You know, furs, diamonds, anything, cars, whatever they had. Chariots, really, at that time. But whatever they had was divided up uh, between the members of the army. The general was given everything, and the general rewarded the soldiers. So when you went to war, you expected to win, and you knew if you won, you were going to get paid. The general, who was victorious at war, had a pension for life. They became wealthy for life. You just expect it to get paid. Pastors expect to get paid, too. Planters enjoy the spoils of the vineyard. They have a little wine now and then. Polly, bring me some wine. And shepherds draw nourishment from the milk of the flock. We expect compensation for work, and the Lord expects us to expect it. Paul calls it to mind that this is not simply a human expectation, it is a divine expectation. And Paul cites the Mosaic Law, a law he knew backwards and forwards. 1 Corinthians 9, eight, I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? I'm not just being a person here. Or doesn't the Mosaic Law, the spiritual law, also say the same thing? So Paul offers this as a spiritual example. 1 Corinthians nine nine, It is written in the Law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox, to prevent it from eating grain while he is threshing the grain. By writing this into the Mosaic law, God isn't concerned primarily about oxen, is he? See, Paul makes the point that the Lord uses stories and parables to help us understand complex biblical issues. So verse 9 is a reverse a fortiori argument. The a fortiori argument in debate says if the stronger thing is true, the lesser thing has to be true. Like in Romans chapter 8, verses 30 and 31. If God the Father sent his son to die for you, do you think he'll pay your mortgage? That's an affortiore argument. The big thing is he sent his son to die for you. The little thing is he'll pay your mortgage. Chill. All right? Well, if God thinks oxen have a right to eat while they work, the little thing. Don't you think that it's a stronger possibility that God thinks a pastor has the right to eat while he works? So this is a reverse off-worthy argument. The, The lesser thing comes first, and the bigger thing comes second. And the point is, yes. If God considers oxen important, he certainly considers pastors important. Now, in people's mind, maybe the oxen are more important than the pastor, but believe me, in the pastor's mind, that's not exactly how it goes. 1 Corinthians uh, 9.10. Isn't the Lord speaking altogether together for our sakes His people? Yes, for our sakes it was written, because the plowman has the right to plow in hopes that, in hope, and the thresher has the right to thresh in hope, of partaking, of sharing in the crops. Look at that. The right to share in the crops. God ordains that pastors can be supported by those they teach. Therefore, the conclusion, 1 Corinthians 9, 11. If we as pastors sowed spiritual things into you, is it too much to ask if we reap material things from you? <clears throat> if we as pastors sow spiritual things into you. Is it too much to ask if we reap material things from you? No. No pastor wants to work without getting paid. I don't believe you had me. (laughs) So I'm going to repeat that. No pastor wants to work without getting paid. Yet we do. We're willing to forgo our rights for the sake of the gospel message and for the sake of the Lord. Let me give you my example. So, I have always had the ability to work and not get paid. And it all started when I was seven. I was sitting up in the window looking out because I couldn't go out to play with the kids in my neighborhood because my mom didn't want me to get killed. (coughs) All this stuff about Chicago, all this violence in Chicago. It's been that way forever. It just wasn't on TV. Because when I was seven... That was 58 years ago, and it was just as bad then. So I'd sit up in my window and look out and watch all the other kids playing, and there was a a pastor who had a a fruit and vegetable truck, and he would drive into the neighborhood every Saturday. And I would watch this guy, he's probably in his 60s, watch him climb up to the second level of his truck to get stuff for people. So I went down to the kitchen. I said, Mom, I'm going to be across the street. I'm going to help the the nice gentleman over there because he's having trouble getting up on top of the truck. So I went over, and I got up on top of the truck. And he said, Get down from there, little boy. I said, I'm here to help you. He said, Well, I can't pay you. I said, I didn't ask for any money. I'm just here to help. So somebody had ordered something that was on top of the truck. Give me five tomatoes. Put them in a bag, give them to him. He was loving this because he's just standing down collecting the money now. <laughs> he's loving this. He ain't trying to cram up on something because he was old. So it's all over. He gives me $10. I said, thank you very much, but you don't have to do that. He said, I want to do that. Take that. Thank you for helping me. That was very nice of you. You're welcome. Went in the house, gave my mom the 10, and went back up to the window. I'm used to this. I'm used to doing work and not getting paid. That was trained into me. So what happened? Why did I start taking a salary? Because a member of Baran Ministry said, you are absolutely insane for not taking a salary. That was actually a person who knew the Bible. And so I started looking it up, found this passage, and thought, okay, I get it. Because everybody who works expects to get paid. It's not normal to work and not expect to get paid. And God doesn't expect it of us. God has blessed me abundantly. But he knew I had to get paid. He's committed to paying my bills. He has to do it. I don't wonder if my bills are going to be paid. I don't. I know he will. He always does. And so that's why I have the second job. Well, Barah Ministries is an example of this too, and I'm going to share that with you in a moment. But God is very concerned that his pastors are compensated for their work. First Corinthians nine twelve. If others, Paul continues his argument, if others, like Peter and the other apostles, partake of this right over you to be compensated for their work, should we not do so all the more? I found it the church. These guys just visit you and you pay them. Nevertheless, we didn't use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. The Corinthians thought Paul was stupid for foregoing his right to be supported so as not to hinder the gospel message. They didn't think he was benevolent. They thought he was stupid. Paul thinks, as do I, that it's important for unbelievers to know that the gospel message has no financial strings attached. So here is the Barah Ministry's financial policy. At Barah Ministries, we choose not to charge for the things we provide to help you study the Word of God. We wish to reflect God's grace. Help yourselves to Bibles, to music, to books, to pamphlets, to anything that would help you or a family member or a friend learn about God. No price appears on any material from Barah Ministries, so that anyone who wants to learn about God can do so free of charge. Even though the materials are free of charge, they are not free of cost, and we appreciate your financial support. What you do by giving at the offering is you make it possible for other people to get stuff free, to get Bibles free, to get books free, to get CDs free, but it's not free. It's free to them, but not free to us, just like salvation is free to us, but it was not free to Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, I didn't mind not taking a salary for 18 years. And I don't mind it that there's not enough money here to support my lifestyle. I don't mind that because God is taking care of me. But the work I do here is extensive. It's 20 hours of very hard, very intense work a week. I got two full-time jobs, a full-time pastor job and a full-time regular career. It's hard. And so we forgo, at Baran Ministries, we forgo charging for things so that people can have things for free. And it's sad, but I think people would rather pay for things so that they feel like they're doing something to help themselves be saved. But you aren't doing anything to help yourself be saved. You're just supporting people who don't see your invisible impact. It takes a while for people to develop a mature attitude about giving. 1 Corinthians 9.13, do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? Paul is saying, even pagans know about being compensated for their work by eating of the food sacrificed to idols. 1 Corinthians 9.14, to close it out. So also, the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. It is our right to charge for June's music. Every time you download one of June's songs, it ought to be 99 cents or $1.29 or whatever Apple charges. It ought to be. But it isn't. We forego that. Every time you pick up a copy of And You Will Be Saved, those books are $5 apiece to make. We ought to be getting money. I can name the pastors who charge. All of them, I can name them all who charge for stuff. That's not what we do here. Because you foot the bill. You support the pastor, and you support the materials that come from this church. You do that. And you affect people all over the world You don't even know who you're affecting. Just like the Northwestern person that helped me, you don't even know what your contribution today will do to affect the world. You don't even know. And that's what mature people do. Mature people forego their rights. You could have spent that money a different way. But you forego your rights so that somebody else can be blessed by it. Well, the Lord expects. And sanctions. The congregations support their pastor financially. And I appreciate it that you do that. And I'm happy that you also, in addition to supporting me, support people all over the world who need to hear the gospel message for free. All right, so the closing moments of our study are the time when the most important message of the study comes along. We want you to know that God wants you. First and foremost, this message is for the benefit of believers in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Believers, sanctify Christ as Lord, as deity in your hearts. Jesus Christ is God. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. The absolute confidence provided by your faith in Christ. And give the defense with gentleness and respect. No need to shove the gospel message down anybody's throat. The gospel message stands on its own. If it offends, it offends. Second, this message is for unbelievers so that you can be saved. Whether you know it or not, you were born a sinner. And that's bad news for you because sinners need a savior. The good news is that this gospel message offers you a chance to make the most important decision of your life. The one outlined in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Well, here's my question for the unbelievers today. What's going to happen to you when you close your eyes in this life? Will you go to heaven, or will you go to hell? Many think the key to getting to heaven is being a good person. According to this standard, a bad person goes to hell. The Bible obliterates this delusion. The Bible says we're all bad people. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says this, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, It is written, there is no creature who is righteous before God at physical birth, not even one. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, the first part says, all in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. Your condition at physical birth is not your fault, but it is your circumstance. The good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ did something about your problem because he doesn't want anyone to go to the lake of fire. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any to perish in the lake of fire, but for all to come to repentance, a voluntary change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord provides us with the Bible to illuminate the path to heaven, John chapter 20, verse 31, these things written here in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in him, you may have the resurrection life in his name. The Bible contains the Lord's exact thinking. So how can you get to heaven? Right where you sit right now, you can tell God the Father That you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the moment of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16 verse 31 says this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. You and everyone in your household who also believes. Who's the God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is something that believers have to accept. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to Scripture. That's one part. That he was buried, that's another part. And that he was raised from the dead to prove that he was God on the third day. That's the third part, according to the Scriptures. Believing in Jesus Christ is your acknowledgement that you can't do a thing to get to heaven on your own. Being a good person does not get you to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't good deed your way to heaven. Romans chapter 11, verse 6 says this If salvation is by grace, and of course it is, it is no longer on the basis of your works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. If you have to work for a gift, then the work makes you deserve the gift. In the matter of your salvation, there is no work that you can do that is impressive to God. The Lord would never allow you to save yourself. The one way, the only way to get to heaven is through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14 verse 6 says this. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God. And I am the resurrection life. And no one comes to the God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. It's wise to let God save you because once God does something, he never changes his mind. John chapter 10, verse 28 says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So heed the warning in John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Are you ready to join me in heaven when you close your eyes in this life? Make your choice. Do it now. All right, let's end with some music. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 9, it says this. Paul says this. To keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me by God a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. If you ever wonder why you continue to sin after salvation, that's why. You have the flesh in you, and it's tormenting you to keep you from exalting yourself. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Concerning this thorn in the flesh... I implored, in fact, begged the Lord three times that it might leave me. 2 Corinthians twelve nine. The Lord has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for divine power is perfected in human weakness. Is there any wonder why we are amazed by God and as the songwriter said, amazed by grace? God's grace is perfect for us in every way and in every circumstance. Here's June Murphy to sing a song she wrote and produced on her very first CD. June sends me the songs, titles, every week so that I can put them into the lesson. And this week, she called this next song, I Stand Amazed. She did that song so long ago, she doesn't even remember the title of it. But lucky for her, her pastor remembered. Here's June Murphy to sing, I stand amazed at grace.
4: Thank Go! Yeah.
0: you, June, appreciate it, worthy of praise is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us believers in Christ in eternity past with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, a place of permanence through our union with Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we have redemption, deliver us from slavery, slavery to sin. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the glorious wealth provided by his grace, which he lavished on us, including as a gift, wisdom and insight. Now to God the Father, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or imagine, more than is humanly possible, according to the divine power omnipotence that works within us, in him be the glory through the church-age believers in union with Christ Jesus, and to all generations forever and ever. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for your grace. Thanks for always providing everything we need to thrive. Thank you for giving us the challenges that are facing us today, the challenge of forfeited freedom. And once again, we'll get to see the darkness of your enemy and the light That you provide that helps us thrive in the midst of the chaos. And we just pray that we are a light like you are to us, to the unbelievers in the world, so that they can see the light of the gospel message and they can have a chance to be saved. And as we go forward this week, I pray that we use the courage to speak up, to state our truths, to share the gospel message, and to do it over and over and over again never taking anyone's salvation for granted. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. 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 Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.